everybody. It's Carmen with the No Apologies podcast, the Stasios podcast. You can find all of our podcasts at www.stasios.net where we talk about any and all kinds of controversies and cultural topics and just whatever happens to be interesting. And today we've definitely got something very interesting to chat about with a guest that I'm excited to have on the podcast today. Her name is Kim Borchers. And I know Kim. Kim, actually, is that how you say your last name? Am I right? Carmen, you got it. You got it right. Perfect. Glad. Since my last name is Schober, people always get it wrong. So I was like, I should, I should double check. Yeah, I've been called Borchers. <laughs> the fancy. And I'm like, Borchers makes this sound like we're French. Yes. So, you know, it sounds exotic when you exactly. live in Chicago. So, yes, my name is Kim Borchers. <laughs> yeah, that's like Chaubert. I know. You're Kim Borcher and I'm Carmen Chaubert. <laughs> that's, that's us when all classed up. So, Kim is a former corporate businesswoman who got into politics by accident because she wanted to protect children from pornography graphic material. Since that journey started 20 years ago, she has been advocating for children, families, and liberty ever since. And I know you, Kim, through the policy circle, which I don't know if you just really quickly want to mention that to our listeners. There might be a few that are interested. No, that's great. Thank you for that. Uh, The policy circle is a group of women. There is about 300 groups across the country, 3,000 women who we get together in our homes and we talk about public policy. Now, normally that would glaze your eyes over, right? <laughs> but, um, what, what it does is it connects policy with how that impacts your life. Because I think a lot of times people don't understand um, if they pass this law, ultimately, what does that do to my family, our jobs, my retirement? And uh, Sylvie Ricketts and two other amazing women started this organization about five years ago. And what they really feel like is that the more knowledgeable women are, the more inclined they are to become engaged. And so they are really wanting to develop civic leaders uh, to get involved in their community. And that's, I mean, this is kind of how I started. I was not a politician. I was a corporate person who stayed at home with their kids. I think there's a lot of women who are like me, but they don't know quite how to navigate through these waters. And one of the things that Policy Circle does, it's like iron sharpening iron. It brings these women together and how can we help each other and how can we address some of the issues that are impacting our communities that we live in. So if people want more information about Policy Circle, they can go to policycircle.org. Please sign up and learn more about it. It's a really great organization. Awesome. That was great. That was a perfect pitch. (laughs) That's all the things I like about the policy circle (laughs) as well. Um, So, but Kim and I, we have a specific topic we're going to talk about today, and that is a story I just read about Kim in the Kansas Reflector, which I'd never heard of (laughs) until today. And I learned from the Kansas Reflector that Kim Borchers wants you to be scared. That's a quote. That's a quote. Yes. From Sherman Smith, award-winning journalist. Sherman says that Kim Borchers wants you to be scared. In fact, Kim, quote, threw a Molotov cocktail of misinformation, anger, and fear into a public debate on police reform during a live Facebook video earlier this month. Kim, my goodness, what did you do to rile Sherman up so much? You would think, Carmen, the award-winning journalist that he is, would have bothered to have contacted myself or Ron Gish, 
who the article was about as well. I had a Facebook Live with a retired police officer who was organizing a Back the Blue event that actually happened yesterday, which was fantastic. There were close to 400 Topekans there. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was it was fantastic. And so I do a lot of Facebook Lives with COVID-19. And one of those individuals who was part of the organization reached out to me and said, hey, would you spotlight what we're doing so more people can know? And I said, absolutely. I know Ron, good man. Our kids were in theater together. And so what we wanted to do was just really kind of educate people about this eight can't wait initiative. Um, You can go back and look at the original agenda items for a special meeting that was being held. And you had three city council individuals, Padilla, I think Nager and Dobler were proposing, they were sponsoring the eight can't wait initiative. And I was concerned about that. So I was talking to Ron, you Google eight can't wait it is like really scary. I mean, what these people are proposing. And I'll be honest, Carmen, I don't think many of the people who are involved on this issue who are wanting police reforms, I think their hearts are in the right place. I think everyone's, most people's hearts are in the right place, right? We want to make sure that citizens are protected and we want to make sure law enforcement is protected and that law enforcement is doing the right thing. Absolutely. I had to laugh because after I read the article, I went back and I listened to my entire Facebook and I'm going, did this guy even listen to this? It was crazy. And what even was more comical, my name is attached to questions in the mayor of Topeka's uh, press conference that they had yesterday. Yeah, (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) Little Tim Borchers is just causing all this misinformation. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. These people need to educate themselves. Absolutely. it's, It's ridiculous. It's typical leftist smearing and I'm accustomed to it. Right. Well, you know, just something that I thought was wildly ironic about this whole thing, right? So we have watched now for months, we have watched the whole Black Lives Matter, defund the police movement, Antifa, all of it wrapped up, all leftist progressive type movements. We have watched them in liberal cities losing their minds over like this movement has fostered so much violence. It has fostered People actually setting literal fires to businesses and killing people and stealing. And yet we have Sherman Smith writing an article about you, Kim, (laughs) associating you with a Molotov cocktail of misinformation and anger with like, we're watching these cities go up in flames. I was like, did it not occur to him? Like the irony, the stunning irony of this. You have obviously upset him more than minority communities suffering in the wake of so many of these movements. So I just thought, like you said, an award-winning journalist, this is off to a good start. (laughs) And you know, I would say, Carmen, there is so much irony in the title of this article. First of all, Sherman, you're going to get a lot of clicks because of this particular podcast, because nobody knows what you do. (laughs) People who are leftists would follow him. But I'm sure some of my friends on the right and in the middle are going to take a look at this. But the title was Politics, Misinformation, Undermine Topeka Debate on Police Reform. And his entire article, the undertones of him politically and the misinformation that he is stating, I had to laugh. He said, she urged Topekans to rally in opposition of police reform. That is patently false. If anybody listened to that Facebook Live, which he did, I will give him this, he provided the link. 
most people, they don't click on the link. Right. 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 They're just minutes long. Yeah. And part of my thing in that Facebook life, we were interviewing this law enforcement officer who was in charge, but we also wanted to talk about some of these issues from a law enforcement perspective. Why are some of these things a concern? And I'll go back to this. The mayor even said, well, we're doing most of these things already. And I'm thinking, yes, we are. So why wouldn't we say that to people who are proposing some of these ideas and some of these ideas as well, if you look at the eight can't wait proposals, they don't allow exceptions. Mm. They say never, ever. And that's probably the biggest concern of law enforcement. I always say it's about the camel getting his nose underneath the tent. It's how I felt about legalization of weed. And I don't even know where you're at on that. But part of my problem is, is the moment that you legalize it there, then, or actually it was medicinal marijuana. And the moment you do that, then they're going to open up the floodgate for recreational. And it's what happened, right? Every state that they've done it now, everybody is medically necessary to have weed. Right. Because they don't want to pay the taxes. There's a tax difference of recreational weed use. Yeah. I digress. But the very thing that he was saying was happening he himself has done. And I just think that's really unfortunate. And it's really, it's yellow journalism. This man is part of the problem when we talk about these issues. Absolutely. But he's messed with the wrong woman. I mean, (laughs) 20 years, let me tell you, and I would say to Sherman, dude, I have taken on the ACLU and the American Library Association. There is nothing you and your little ink on your Kansas reflector can do to get under my skin. But I just, <laughs> for me, I'm appreciative that you had me on so we could actually talk about this issue and show who the real politicians are. Heck yeah. Well, I think if anything, you've clearly gotten under Sherman's skin. As I was reading it, I was like, whoa, boy, your knickers are in a little twist right now because Kim, Kim is bothering you. But one thing I will, I'll just back up and just quickly address because I think this is an interesting little insight. We could talk about it at length in a different podcast. But, you know, as far as, legalizing drugs or different things within that conversation. You know, I identify as a conservative, but I very much appreciate libertarianism. And I think libertarians have a lot of really good ideas. I think potentially decriminalizing drugs has some potential good outcomes. But I think like you said, like you kind of pinpointed, I think progressives are the problem. Progressives are never satisfied with sort of just leaving something at a productive state, right? It's always about progressing it further. So instead of just medicinal marijuana or instead of whatever the case may be, you always have to expect progressives are going to be pushing the envelope in dangerous and destructive ways. So that's just a little thought I have regarding that. I think I've talked about this with someone else on my podcast that, man, if right-leaning people and moderate people, libertarians, conservatives, if we had the influence that some of these major, huge progressive institutions have, the way they push out narratives, the way they do it, if we had that, there would be far fewer issues because we understand at some point the boundaries have to kick in and we're more capable of having rational type of conversations about what those boundaries are. We don't immediately go to the slander of, you know, oh, well, because you want this, you're a racist or you're whatever. And that is, you know, I saw that playing out in this article as well. Sherman also chose to include this bit towards the end of Teresa Joyce Wynn. 
a vocal advocate for police accountability, said that Borcher's warnings sounded like coded racist language directed toward white people to make them feel unsafe. What is your response to that? Like sort of this, obviously Sherman slipped this in to try to suggest that something that you had to say was racist. First of all, I go back to this is the problem. This is the press. I don't know Miss Wynn. I know that she lost a child three years ago uh, with an altercation that her son had with law enforcement. Oh. And I would say as, as a mom, I think the loss of your child, no matter how you lose it, is devastating. So my heart goes out to her. My question is, what did Joyce win? Did the journalist say something to her that supposedly I said, and then this was her response? And so when you have folks who want to pit people against each other, like this article does as well, I mean, I don't know if this mom watched the 40 minute interview. If you watch this 40 minute interview, you would see that it had nothing to do with that. And quite honestly, anybody who knows me yeah. knows that that's, that's not Kim Borchers. Right, so, right. But it, it, it lends itself to what journalism is. These guys are about clicks, right? Yeah. They're about how many clicks you can get. How do you create an inflammatory headline? How do you get people riled up? And I think this is what's sad. And so when the mayor of Topeka wants to sit and talk about misinformation, she needs to go after guys like this who create misinformation. I will tell you, I went and also listened to Mayor Michelle de la Isla's press conference yesterday. And it was interesting because my name was cited. Wow. And Borchers, who did a Facebook, blah, 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 which I'm like going, okay, boy. You know, I'm not even an elected official. And my name got mentioned twice in that press conference. But the mayor acted ignorant of what Black Lives Matter, the organization. I'm not talking about little B, little L. Right, little right. Matter. You and I both know that Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Right. Um, but the organization, she said, well, I had a friend who sat me down and said, Michelle, you know, what do you think Black Lives Matter means? And it's like she had some epiphany when she was sitting there with him about, well, that organization, you know, they want to harm law enforcement. I want to sit there and go, Mayor, are you kidding me? You were scheduled to speak at a Black Lives Matter rally at Washburn University. Yeah. It was yeah. public. I'm like, either, and that right there, I'll, t I'll tell you, this is very clear. I want everybody to know I'm, I, this is where my people can say, oh, she's being political. I support Jake LaTurner. Jake LaTurner, who's who I'm voting for for Congress. <laughs> Me too. And, and, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you, Michelle De La Isla, the fact that she didn't know what Black Lives Matter, the organization stood for, shows how naive she is and absolutely has no business going to Washington, D.C. Things get far more complicated up in D.C. And so, you know, I sit there and I'm like, am I supposed to believe that? Because I think she's a smart woman. Yeah. But that yeah. was very, that's naive. Naive or cunning. You know, it's one or, you know, it's, it's either she, she is willfully deceiving people about her involvement with the movement, or she's not very smart. Those are the only two options, you well, know, given what's going on. I'm going to go with, na I'm going to go in naive with how some of these groups work. I mean, I don't know what she's thinking, yeah. but I'll also tell you that she talked about this information and I shared some of this with you, Carmen, because it's interesting what the misinformation got disseminated when the mayor chooses to not take a stand. She allows people to think they're getting somewhere with her. Some folks from the Black Lives Matter group, they posted on a Facebook, you know, had a great meeting with Michelle. She's she's for us. She's working behind the scenes to make sure this meeting happens. Well, that gets posted. People capture that 
and then they send it around, you know, what do they think people are going to think? Right. We've seen that it's Black Lives Matter who've been creating this chaos in Portland and Minneapolis and up in Chicago. And she thinks that people won't be concerned about this other issue. And I'll just tell you, I hadn't seen any of that stuff. That wasn't even part of why I was talking to Ron. And then they began to show me this stuff. And I'm thinking, wow, this is crazy. So, you know, I just think what we have here is we had a bunch of politicians who didn't think anybody was paying attention. Mm. because Topeka proper has been consistently Democrat, if you think about it, right? Yeah. And even in the legislators that get elected in city proper, they're Democrat. Republicans just don't win. And I think that they just thought that they could forward these things and no one would think anything about it. And they were wrong. And so what do they do? Then they start running scared and they have to have a boogeyman. Yeah. They're not responsible. They're not responsible for the misinformation and how they have handled this. So they make Kim Borchers the boogeyman. <laughs> you and are I'm you like, are scary, Kim. It's true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, um, but, but you know what? It's part of the reason why after I stepped away from working for a governor for seven years, I just took a bit of a break. One, because it's pretty exhausting. Yeah. But two, I just needed to let my brain air out a little bit and kind of feed myself and nurture myself because it can just suck the life out of you. Right. When COVID-19 started, Carmen, I had people who I didn't know were Facebook messaging me saying, I need help. How do I get my business back open? And then I've got moms when we're dealing with the school issue. I mean, people just don't know how to navigate through these waters. And I feel like if my 20 years of experience as someone who walked in and didn't know how to do any of it, can help people so they're not having to start from scratch. I am more than happy to do that. So yeah. it's just, I, I'm amazed at these politicians and I'm amazed. I shouldn't be amazed, right? I spent 20 years in these so-called journalists. They don't do their job. There's no intellectual curiosity. Yeah. They don't do follow-up questions. They let people make statements. You know, I'll just say this. When the mayor heard a citizen of this county's name mentioned, she should have said, you know what? I don't know Kim Borchers. I mean, I've, the mayor and I have never spoken. I mean, I know of her and I've seen her in restaurants, but I don't know. She could have easily said, I don't know Miss Borchers. I'm not aware of what this Facebook is. Probably before I answer anything, I probably should watch it. Yeah. She didn't do that. She took the interpretation of a journalist and lashed out. And I would say this. Did she know that question was coming? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's those are great questions. You know what? I love that point that you just made that there's so little like real intellectual honesty, real intellectual curiosity, real like investigative effort happening in so much of politics. Like just reading through this piece, some of these things, man, I was just left with so many questions. Um, and like you said, you know, I think the people who are going to be following this particular journalist, journalist are liberal. Um, they probably can sort of just like automatically fill in the gaps of what they're reading. They kind of have like their presuppositions of what they think. But like just just for example, you know, like he he goes into how um he said, demands by Black Lives Matter and others for transparency, accountability, training, and changes in police tactics are really a starting point, Borchers claimed without evidence for abolishing the police altogether. Which, like you said, that's not an accurate rep- representation of the whole conversation that you had. But let's just back up a little bit and think about 
what we have seen with our own eyeballs. <laughs> like the reality is the Black Lives Matter movement is about abolishing the police. Like even their progressive little darling AOC was very clear and said that defunding the police means defunding the police. And, you know, they can kind of do all this like backing up and changing the rhetoric and softening it and distorting it. But we have enough uh, evidence of what's unfolding in different cities throughout the country to be reasonably concerned that truly abolishing the police is a long-term goal. <laughs> like, But the fact that it's presented, like how preposterous that that would even be an idea. I mean, it just shows how what a gap there is between like how liberals are presenting reality and actual reality. <laughs> like, do you feel that when you read this? Like, how has this chasm grown so far that someone's actually kind of surprised that you would be concerned about abolishing the police when the movement is called defund the police? Right. Well, and, and what's so interesting, um, I don't, I went, like I said, I went back and watched it. I don't even think Ron and I in the conversation said defund. We actually referenced abolishing the police, which is the movement of this eight can't wait. And it's funny that you said AOC. Um, probably most people, most Topekans and Kansans didn't see kind of the before the main stage Democrat convention. Um, I watched one of them and it was this gal who said, we want to make it very clear the DNC's idea of dealing with these racial injustices and, and it was law enforcement and so forth. We're not going to do it their way. We're talking about abolishing law enforcement. They said, we need to think bigger. We need to think a world without prisons. We need to think about a world without police. And I'm like, well, there's only one place that I know that's going to be like that. And it's called heaven. And <laughs> yeah. Many of you are dealing with desperately need to know Jesus if you want to experience what you just described. Amen. Uh, but, you know, this is this is what I find interesting, because when people talk about police reforms, um, there is a group. It's a community group um, and it's SPCP, I think. Um, and it's Strategic Partners and Community something. I apologize. I don't have it right in front of me. But the, there were two meetings like that about two weeks ago. And I actually went because people were all up in the air about what was going to happen. And I even said on the Facebook with Ron, I just think people need to educate themselves before they just get all hyped up. So I went and I was really glad that I did. There were four different presentations, but and three of them were from law enforcement themselves. But it was talking about how the Topeka Police Department compares to even the national requirements for training. And I found this to be interesting and impressive for Topeka. Um, they're required to have 40 hours, training hours on defensive tactics. We have 60. Wow. They are required to have 18 hours on communication. We have 48. Um, firearms training, um, 53 hours, we have 35. I mean, I could go through this crisis management. They're required to have 24. And they have 58. Wow. And the list goes on and on. And if you look overall, Topeka has 960 hours, which also include 
training in ethics, law enforcement, health, cultural diversity. We spend 960 hours and the national requirement for accreditation is 560. Wow. So that tells me that there's lots of really good things that are going on in law enforcement. But what happens is I feel like you've got folks, they see these national things and then they have this thing that's happened to them personally. And so they want to go do and make a change without always educating themselves on what we're already doing, right? Right, right. And how we can get better. And Carmen, I can't, I just want to emphasize this. I would be standing with anyone for getting rid of a bad actor in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I'm locking arms with you. But you know what we have? We have a, it's called due process. Yeah. And you cannot have justice without it. Yeah. And we, we are now living in a country where people want to be, they want to be the accuser, the judge, and the jury. And that's a socialist country that does that. That's not the United States of America. And um, the thing that Ron and I were talking about is some of the things that are happening in the world today, you could never have told us 20 years ago, we, we would be having these issues. Um, and quite honestly, um, there are bad actors in law enforcement. There are bad actors in education, in yep. healthcare in the law. Uh, how about bad actors in journalism? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the church? What do you need to do with them? Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, this idea that if you want to support law enforcement, that you don't want accountability or you don't believe that there is the potential for some police reforms is patently false. Just like I would say, if you want police reforms that you think are necessary, doesn't mean that you're anti-police. But these right. folks, they get people make money off this division. Yeah. Nobody makes money of unity. Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody buys a newspaper because there's kumbayas out in front of the city council meeting. It, that's what everyone has to get. These people, they get elected because they like to talk about dissension and all the terrible things that are out there and that they've got to solve them. Right, and right. The problem is their platform. So they can never concede that maybe the problem's getting better or maybe the problem isn't as big of a problem. It's always, that's the platform. That's what they run on. So the problem, whether or not it's as big as they say it is, or even if it even exists or not, they still have to present that problem, right? That's yeah. the well, must have. And, and, you know, Carmen, you know, everyone I think has, a, has somewhat of a story that drives them to the position that they take. And I believe, I know for myself, my position on law enforcement, I could very easily have been on the other side of this issue. My dad was shot by an off-duty police officer and lost the use of his right arm when he was in his early 20s. Wow. Um, he'd served in the United States Marine Corps, just got engaged to my mom, was thinking about making the military his full-time career. He was pumping gas in a Hudson gas station for a job. And one of his buddies was an independence law enforcement officer. And he would come in and show the guys how fast he could draw his gun. Uh, this particular day, he forgot that he put his real bullets in and he shot my dad. Now wow. imagine that. Yeah. Late 1950s, early 1960s, you're disabled. My dad lived a life of that. Your circumstances don't define who you are, but what you do with your circumstances. And my dad didn't blame law enforcement. He knew that was an accident. 
He was a fighter. You yeah. couldn't, I mean, he, he moved through the ranks of the company who hired the disabled guy and ended up becoming a union plastics president and wow. was so, and was so great at it. That, that makes me smile. Well, management even brought him over because they're like, we're tired of negotiating with Ed on the union. He's just too good. <laughs> but I share that story with you because I could be angry. I could think, yeah, the right law enforcement officers, yada, 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 but not. And you know why? Because my father taught us to respect law enforcement. He had the talk about a man who loved his country. He loved the, the military. He loved law enforcement. He knew he couldn't be with his daughters 24 hours a day. So if there were good cops in town, right? He knew <laughs> that they were taken care of. So I just share that story because um, we do have stories, but there are politicians who are just making hay because they like to divide everybody and journalists are making hay. And that's exactly what this piece does. And it just, it angers me. Yeah. I mean, and it's frustrating. And I'm thinking, talk about misinformation. It, it was, it, it was just astounding. Yeah. Well, and one last little bit, I mean, I think we've covered the gamut, but I think one thing that's interesting, maybe you can sound off on this. We could see if there's anything else we want to cover. I mean, you were having a conversation with somebody who is knowledgeable on the subject. You were having a public Facebook conversation, which you're very good at. You're all about the dialogue. I know because I follow you on Facebook. You're you're open. You're very respectful. You You seem to have quite like a diverse array of friends represented when you do these things. And just, yeah, this tactic used by the Kansas reflector, I mean, just pathetic, just sad. But one one thing I did want to say, you really seem to have irked him when you said you were giving examples of, you know, okay, so if we defund the police or abolish the police, whatever, how does that, how does that work in terms of safety? You gave the example of like, you know, a child being abducted or some kind of dangerous situation. Like we all, to some degree, rely upon police officers. Like I just saw, you know, with all the stuff going on in Wisconsin, there was shootings there. And the people in the middle of the movement for calling to defund the police after someone was shot were calling the police. (laughs) So there's that reality going on. But in the article, let's see here. Where is it at? Let me find it. Basically, he he talked about, quote, coded racist language toward white people to make them feel unsafe. And this is sort of this weird new progressive rhetoric that is all about suggesting that if you are concerned about your own property or your own bodily safety or the safety of other people, that that is somehow like insensitive or racist towards other people, which, you know, it, it that suggests a lot of assumptions on the person making that claim. But I don't know what planet we're on where it's it, someone thinks that their potentially offended feelings or the the potentially offended feelings of another person are somehow more important than a person's actual safety. Like the 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 gal from the Minneapolis City Council comes to mind. I don't know if you remember that kind of went viral. Her name was Lisa Bender and she was on CNN and she said something along the lines of, you know, like if you want to call the police when your home is broken into, that quote comes from a place of privilege, quote. And thankfully, many, many people, you know, lambasted her for that comment because that's that's crazy. I mean, no sane person is speaking that language where 
It's a place of privilege to want to protect yourself and your loved ones. But there is a growing little faction of progressive people who are are trying to make that a mainstream uh, position to have that, you know, caring about this or wanting or talking about safety or talking about real life scenarios that could happen and the consequences of these progressive policies is somehow, quote, racist or offensive. And it's I mean, how how do we have how do we have dialogue with with people who think that way? Because that's just such a such a far out there, not helpful way of going about this. Sorry, there was a lot there. Sorry. No, there's a lot. No, there there is. And I and I think that's a great question. And I think part of this, it's twofold. One is people have hijacked terms and they've redefined them. Yes. And so I think before people can move in even one direction, when someone says something, I need them to define it. And I'll give you an example. So that meeting that I went to at the um, regarding this community group and so forth, there was a law enforcement officer. And I asked her about how people got on this particular committee, which I would say is another thing. I can't find the names of anybody on this committee. It's referenced on the Topeka website and the group, and it has minutes and their proposals, but the names of anybody on the group aren't there, which I find that to be interesting. And I sent an email to the chief of police and asked him if he could please provide that. And he didn't respond. That's fishy. Um, well, I, because many of these people all sit on different, they sit on the same groups. It's the same people all sitting on the same commissions. It's just, it's crazy. They don't, they don't get what I'm about to say, which is diversity of thought. So I asked the officer who's in charge of the program. I said, is this group diverse? And she said, oh yes, we have um, black people and we have men and women. And, and I go, no, that's not what I mean. Do you have people who have diversity of thought? I said, do you have diversity of political persuasion? Well, we've, we've never looked at that. I mean, that's the problem. If we truly want diversity, equity, and inclusivity, that means even people who you don't agree with. I've got a great friend. Her name is Urshad Manji. Um, uh, she wrote a book called No More Labels. Bill Maher has had her on. She oh, is wow. a, she is a Muslim, lesbian, um, Indian. And uh, she and I are, are friends, good friends. We met each other at a, a program. And we talked a lot about this. And she said, the very people who have been pushing for, you know, better representation are more than happy to squeeze out this other group saying, well, now I'm on top and I'm going to make sure that you suffer under me like I've suffered under you. Right. And she said, that is just wrong. And I think Urshad and I are a perfect example of two intelligent, educated women who don't necessarily agree, but we respect each other and we look to find common ground with each other. And I think that's what we have to be advocating for. And I think that's the danger of journalists like Sherman Smith. They don't want common ground. Yeah. They don't want people to come together and say, you know what? I don't agree with that, but I can agree with you on this. Yeah. They want heroes and villains. They want, yeah. They, they, they want heroes and villains. And I just, that makes me really sad. And I would also just say this, you mentioned that 
Black Lives Matter movement wants to abolish the police. I mean, it's very clear. AOC has even said this. You, right. you know? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. But when we talk about intellectual curiosity, they don't even go look up a can't wait. Go follow the links. The Black Lives Matter organization was frustrated with A Can't Wait because they felt like they were slowing their abolition of the police down. And then A Can't Wait was kind of changing, saying, no, we're just building the pillars to ultimately get there. I mean, it's on face. I mean, not Facebook. It's on the web. Just look it up. And so you sit there and you go, are you kidding me? And, and so this is this is what I think there has to be an accountability with politicians. Right. Right. You can't sit in a room and make promises to one group and then come out in front of the press because now you're taking heat and go, well, misinformation is being disseminated. You did this yourself. Take ownership of it. Right. And if you can't do that, then you have no business leading. You have no business leading a city and you have no business going to Washington and getting a promotion. Heck yeah. My, I had to, I just, this is what was so funny. When I did that Facebook thing, it was really to help Ron out. I mean, cause he's a good guy and I know how it is, you know, trying to get people at rallies and it's sort of like, you always worry. It's like, will anybody show up at the wedding? <laughs> <laughs> All the invitations, like how many people will show up. So I'm like, Hey, if I can help him get the, the new, the information out and get people to be more informed, that's what it was about. And then we posed the question, I mean, why would she do this? Is it to get the woke vote or progressive vote? I mean, I don't know. And I, I laugh because that question got posed to her. Borchers questions that you might be doing this to get the woke vote. And uh, I laugh. She's like, what? Oh, yeah. She doesn't know what that is. Of course. And like, which is part of hearing because people have these crazy masks on. And then she laughed about it saying, the idea that I would abdicate my responsibility as, as the mayor to not protect my law enforcement. And I just sit there and go, we all know that people sell their soul to the devil in politics, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. More do than don't. We all know that. <laughs> Even the best people who we never thought would do certain things. And so I just, what I think happens, you get some of these people, they become little darlings, they believe their headlines. And then when something comes back and the, I mean, the city of Topeka, they, I think they were probably getting more emails than the county commission was on COVID-19 and masks and rules and that kind of stuff. So it just, it's, it's very sad, but I'm hopeful that things like this, Carmen, if people will listen to it in its entirety, that they will see that there are a lot of us who want to have healthy dialogue, but you need a myriad of people sitting around that table who have diverse life experiences and diversity of thought. Yeah. And that's how Topeka will get best practices. And, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of just, I'll go off on this just real quick because I think law enforcement is dealing with sort of, you know, when they talk about babies coming, they're coming through the river and they're about to go over the waterfall. You know, law enforcement is trying to get these babies out of the water before they go over the waterfall. You know what I mean? And you have to ask yourself, instead of trying to get all the babies out, how did these babies get in the river in the first place? And I think that's what we as a community need to be asking ourselves. How is it that we have these young kids in our marginalized communities? And I would even say in, in from healthy homes, how is it that these kids are getting involved in things that are harmful to them? Right. Yeah. And so I think a lot of us, we have to be 
more invested in the young people who are around us. I think we get a little too caught up in our own lives. I would also say that I think education has failed many of these kids. Yes. The way out of poverty is to have a good education. And I'm not talking about an education that teaches you to hate America. <laughs> you know, our kids need the basics. They, they need to know how to read, write, and do math. And, you know, that's the surefire way to ensure that these kids are going to be coming out of poverty. And so my heart goes out to law enforcement because I feel like they're getting the brunt of it in our communities, when in reality, we all have a responsibility to every single child in our community from the perspective of ensuring that we create a safe environment, not just for them physically, but mentally. And I would also say spiritually, you know, that's for me where my faith comes in. My, my faith is a guiding principle for me. So I'll go back to, I started in this 20 years ago, fighting pornography in the public library. It was about protecting kids. Then it's about protecting our community now. And, um, I just think we, we all have responsibility in this. And I think if if people like Mr. Smith um, <laughs> would get out of the way and stop doing yellow journalism and politicians would stop manipulating these things, I think we would be in a much better spot. Amen, sister. I knew this would be fun. I knew this would be fun just to, just to roast Sherman a little bit nicely. I feel like we were nicer to Sherman than he was to you. So there's that. And, you know, I would say, Kim. Sherman, just- you need Jesus. Sherman, you need Jesus <laughs> desperately. If, if he's working with Tim Carpenter, Tim, talk about someone who's just angry and mean all the time. He just wasn't. Yeah. I saw him working on that. I'm like going, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yikes. Well, I would say that based on this, just as a writer, as as someone who writes quite often, based on off of this very grasping article, I could sense that, you know, Kim, I think you should keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I think I think you're you're ruffling the right feathers. And I personally very much appreciate it. Well, I will tell you, Carmen. What I'm going to do once the podcast starts taking off, I'm going to invite Sherman Smith on my podcast. Oh, it's a good idea. So Sherman Smith, I'm sure he will hear this too. So get ready and be prepared. Let's show people what civil discourse can look like. And I will respect you and you will respect me. And we can just, you know, let it go from there. I love it. I love it. Let's get ready to rumble respectfully. Well, this was fun, Kim. You have to come back on some other time and talk. We'll talk about all kinds of things. But thank you so much. This is going to be a good one. Thank you.